Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Hi, YouTube. It's Joshua Miles, and welcome back to my channel. Today's video is yet another episode in my Summer of True Crime series, and today's video is made in collaboration with the amazing and wonderfully talented Stephanie Harlow. I'm sure you will know who she is. She is... You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Is very in-depth. Her case videos are amazing. I respect her so much. Uh, we actually did a video over on her channel as well, which is going live at the same time this, this video has gone live. So be sure to check that video out after you finish watching this one. I'm going to keep this intro short so we can delve straight into this case. I'd just like to point out this video has not been made to cause disrespect or anything like that. It's just been made to spread awareness about this case by compiling information from various different public sources on the internet. Now, with all that being said, Let's delve right into this case. Tuesday, the 6th of February, 1996, started out just as normally as every other school day that had come before it for 10-year-old Zachary Ramsey, who was known to his family and friends as Zach. Zach said goodbye to his mother, Rachel, before happily walking out of his mother's apartment. Now, Zach lived with just his mother, Rachel, in the small city of Great Falls, Montana. His parents had actually gotten divorced just before he had turned two years old. His father, Franz Ramsey, had actually moved to Virginia soon after the couple had finalized their divorce, leaving Rachel to raise Zach on her own. When Zach walked out the front door of his mother's apartment on that fateful Tuesday morning at about 7.28 a.m. to make his routine walk to school, nobody could predict the horrors that would follow. This is the curious case of the monster of Great Falls. What we do know for certain was that Zach had been wearing a blue denim jacket with green sleeves, a blue football jersey with his last name printed on the back in gold letters, stonewashed jeans, and black high-top sneakers. According to eyewitnesses, Zach entered an alleyway, as he did every other morning on his usual route to school. The witnesses were a family of three who lived above the alleyway, and they also reported that Zach narrowly missed being hit by a white four-door vehicle just before entering that alley. A witness then claimed to have seen Zach standing in the entrance to the alleyway, as if he was waiting for someone. It has been theorized, though, that he may have been talking to somebody that just couldn't be seen because the view of them was obstructed by the dumpster. Zach was then seen at about 7.45 a.m. in a severe state of distress. He was crying while being closely followed down the alleyway by an obese white man. Half an hour prior to that sighting, at around 7.15 a.m., a witness who was taking out their garbage saw a large, obese white male standing by the dumpster wearing a blue jacket that, to the general public, would make him appear to be a police officer. According to this same witness, 
This man, the obese white man in the blue jacket, was still standing by the dumpster when a young African-American boy was seen walking into the alleyway. This boy we now know was Zach. Somewhere in this alleyway, where it cuts into 6th Street and it comes out at 7th Street, 10-year-old Zachary Ramsey disappeared. Zach was never seen or heard from again. Now, a young child going missing on their way to school in a very safe neighborhood wasn't something that occurred a lot in Great Falls. In fact, the local law enforcement officers were so unused to dealing with this sort of missing persons case and didn't have any experience in it really at all, they found it very, very difficult to generate new leads. And as a result of this, the case was quickly going cold. It wasn't until three years later in 1999 that the arrest of a obese man dressed as a law enforcement officer impersonating a police officer outside an elementary school in Great Falls that the local law enforcement officers actually realized the gravity of the gruesome events that had occurred and how horrifying the true story actually was. Now, this man who was arrested for impersonating a police officer was searched by the police and he was found to have two cans of pepper spray on his body, a toy gun, and a fake police badge. Now, the investigating officers assigned to this case decided that they should search this man's flat so that they could see if he had any more paraphernalia that could relate to impersonating a police officer, anything that could further hold this impersonating a police officer charge against this man in court. The investigators applied for a search warrant, which was quickly granted by the courts. But when they went to this man's flat, what they found there was truly horrifying and gruesome. The police recovered over 3,500 indecent images of children and indecent images of this man, with quite a few of the photos actually having both indecent images of this man and children in the same picture. They also recovered thousands of photos of children that had been cut out of magazines and newspapers. And strangely, they also found a lot of clippings of articles from newspapers that followed the Zachary Ramsey case. Now, on a deeper search of the premises, the investigating officers also located a journal, and this journal had seemingly been written in some kind of code. But most horrifically, in their deep search of the premises, the investigating officers found a human bone. Now, the investigators were quick to try and run a background check on who this man was and try and find out more about him. A simple police impersonation case had blown up into something that this local police department had never seen before. And this man was quickly identified to be 42-year-old Nathaniel Barjona. Nathaniel was actually born with the name David Paul Brown on the 16th of February 1957 in Worcester, Massachusetts. And even at a very young age, as early as the age of six, Nathaniel demonstrated signs of immoral thinking and violence. Nathaniel would pick at the scabs on his skin until they festered and then suck the blood from the wound. Ugh. Nathaniel's parents actually received numerous calls from the school to tell them how upsetting this kind of behavior was to the other students and even the teachers. Then in February of 1964, Nathaniel received a Ouija board for his seventh birthday. He was very excited to try this Ouija board out. And I do have to say, personally, a proper birthday present for a child who already seems like he might be on the verge 
kind of questionable as far as morals goes. A Ouija board's probably not the best gift to give him because not that Ouija boards are bad. I love Ouija boards and I love playing with them, but at the same time, I have logical thinking and I'm not going to take it too far. Somebody who's kind of already not really right in the head is gonna take that Ouija board and use it as an instrument to further that insanity. Nathaniel invited a neighbor, a five-year-old girl, to his house to play with the Ouija board with him. However, this was just a plan to get the girl alone. He tried to strangle her, but fortunately, her screams alerted Nathaniel's mother, who rushed down and intervened. Strangely, Nathaniel's parents brushed this event off. They thought it was a one-time thing. It wasn't going to happen again. Nathaniel was too young to know what he was doing. However, in 1970, when Nathaniel was 13, he struck again. This time, he had persuaded a six-year-old neighbor to go sledding with him. 13-year-old Nathaniel brought the six-year-old boy into a private and secluded area before forcing himself on him and sexually assaulting him. It was when he was a senior in high school that Nathaniel actually impersonated a police officer for the very first time while he was abducting eight-year-old Richard O'Connor. This abduction would later draw comparisons to the abduction of Zachary Ramsey. Richard had been walking to school when he was abducted by a young man impersonating a police officer. He was sexually abused and strangled in a car. A witness had actually seen this abduction and assault from their window, and they quickly phoned the police. Luckily, the police officers responded to the scene very quickly, and although Richard was unconscious and close to death, they were able to rescue him and save his life. The police immediately arrested Nathaniel, who was still there on the scene, and he was sentenced to a year of probation for his crime. Now, just a few days before Nathaniel's graduation, and in fact, just a few days before his parole would actually end, Nathaniel struck again. Nathaniel drove to Hartford in Connecticut, dressed up like a police officer, and actually abducted a nine-year-old girl in the same way that he did with Richard O'Connor. Nathaniel then forcefully violated the little girl before actually throwing her from his vehicle because the little girl had started convulsing and vomiting in a severe reaction to what was happening to her. Now, a witness actually saw this little girl being thrown from the car and managed to take note of the license plate of the vehicle. Nathaniel was actually arrested in Hartford due to this uh, witness taking down his number plate. However, I don't believe that he was actually convicted or charged with anything. I believe they let him go and that they were supposed to be informing his parole officers what had happened. However, this report of what Nathaniel had done in Hartford never actually made it back to Nathaniel's probation officers in Worcester. And ironically, Nathaniel actually received a letter in May of 1976 from his probation officers thanking him for his cooperation. The next incident occurred occurred just one year later in September of 1977. On the 24th of September 1977, Nathaniel dressed up and impersonated an FBI agent and he used this impersonation to actually kidnap two boys as they were coming out of a local movie theatre. He did this in the same manner that he had done with all his prior abductions. Nathaniel put the two boys in the back of his vehicle, handcuffed them before driving them both to a secluded area. And when they got to this secluded area, Nathaniel put one of the boys in the trunk of his vehicle and pulled the other boy out of the car. Now Nathaniel weighed about 375 pounds at the time and he literally used his weight to 
sit on and squash and suffocate this boy that he had pulled from the car. However, this boy was smart and he knew that if he played dead, then it was likely that Nathaniel would leave him alone. So the little boy did just that and I actually believe Due to the severe weight that was being put on him, the little boy even fell unconscious. And he managed to sustain this playing dead even while Nathaniel flicked hot cigarette ashes into his face. Nathaniel then decided to leave this little boy who he thought he was dead and to get into his car and drive away, with the other boy still in the boot of his vehicle. Now the little boy that was playing dead quickly ran to the nearest police station and reported what had happened. The police were luckily able to track down Nathaniel's vehicle and Fortunately, the little boy was still in the boots and hadn't been harmed. They were able to recover the little boy too. Nathaniel was immediately arrested and was actually sentenced to the maximum term sentence of 18 to 20 years for attempted murder. Now, while Nathaniel was in prison, he was actually ordered to start meeting with a psychiatrist. And what Nathaniel told the psychiatrist was deeply disturbing. Without going into too much detail, Nathaniel described to his psychiatrist about how much he wanted to end the lives of children, cut them up, and then consume them. Now, understandably, the psychiatrist was beyond concerned and recommended that Nathaniel be moved to a psychiatric hospital as soon as possible, and that is what happened. However, just 14 years into Nathaniel's sentence, psychiatric evaluations determined somehow that Nathaniel was now completely fine. And these psychiatric evaluations were presented to a judge and these findings showed that somehow Nathaniel didn't present any danger to society anymore. Now, in a very shocking and controversial move, the judge actually ordered that Nathaniel be released on parole on the terms that he went to live with his mother in Montana. He was also recommended to receive and get psychiatric help whilst in Montana. However, this was not mandatory. Nathaniel, after being released, he followed what the judge had told him to do, and he moved in with his mother, who lived in Great Falls, Montana. It was actually when he got to Great Falls that he decided to change his name from his birth name, David Paul Brown, to Nathaniel Bar Jonah. This was allegedly due to the fact that he wanted to experience what it felt like to live under the persecution that Jewish people faced every day, although later he would admit that he always was Jewish. Besides the name change, nobody from the Massachusetts court had ever followed up with anybody in Montana to keep an eye on Nathaniel. So basically nobody was watching. Nobody was worried about what he was doing. And this brings us back to the police searches of Nathaniel's Great Falls flat after he had been impersonating a police officer outside of a local middle school. The coded journal that was discovered was sent to the FBI to be decrypted, a process that would take several months. However, this journal contained three words that were not coded. They were Zachary Ramsey and dead. The investigators immediately linked Nathaniel to Zachary's disappearance, and this link was further solidified when the eyewitness said he had seen Nathaniel in the alleyway the morning that Zach went missing. It also turned out that Nathaniel had access to his mother's white four-door Toyota Corolla on the day that Zach went missing. On that day in question and several days that followed, Nathaniel's mother was out of town. So he would have had complete access to that car all day in the days following as much as he wanted. The human bone that was found in his flat was sent off to be analyzed and it was determined through DNA that that bone belonged to a small child. 
more specifically, an African-American child. However, when that DNA that was found in the child's bone inside Nathaniel Barr's flat was tested against Zachary Ramsey's DNA, it was discovered it was not the same DNA. That bone did not belong to Zachary Ramsey. Forensics also found a hair in a meat grinder in Nathaniel's flat that was determined to be from an African-American. But when that hair DNA was put up against Zach's DNA, they did not match either. The hair didn't belong to Zach. The police quickly obtained a second search warrant that enabled them to search Nathaniel's mother's home. And in the garage of Nathaniel's mother's home, the police actually found a lot of evidence. They found a list of boys' names. Further to this, they also found a large stained piece of plywood that had been scrubbed with bleach. The plywood also presented marks similar to that of which a meat cleaver would cause if it was used on it. The plywood was quickly determined to have been used as some kind of cutting board, but what was cut on this cutting board? Oh, is unknown. A forensics team then came in and decided to spray the garage with a chemical called fluorescein. Fluorescein is a chemical which actually causes a reaction between the oxygen in the air and hemoglobin which is found in the blood. This then indicates to a forensics team whether blood is present at a crime scene regardless of whether it has been washed away, bleached away or scrubbed away through the use of fluorescent markers. And it was through the use of this forensics technique that the investigators actually discovered a word written on the wall in blood. And this word was Tita. The investigators quickly used this as evidence to try and link Nathaniel with the disappearance of a young boy who went by the name of James Tita. James was kidnapped on the 23rd of August 1973 and sadly his body was actually found two days later on the 25th in Ringe, New Hampshire. An autopsy conducted on James determines that he had actually been forcefully violated before being strangled to death. As these searches were being conducted, neighbours of Nathaniel came forward to the police with allegations that Nathaniel had been molesting their children. During the year of 1999, three neighbourhood children were actually molested in Nathaniel's flat, with one of them even being partially hung from a pulley in Nathaniel's kitchen. All three of the boys had been invited to a sleepover at Nathaniel's flat, and in the weeks that followed, the parents of the boys noted a severe change in the behaviour of the boys. They had become shy and reserved and angry and very, very withdrawn. Now, the parents were actually under the impression that the boys were going to have a sleepover at one of the other boys' houses, if that makes sense. The boys had spun this story when in actual fact they were going to have the sleepover at Nathaniel's. It is believed that Nathaniel manipulated them into doing this. Nathaniel's charges were changed from simply impersonating a police officer to kidnap and sexual assault. Now, just before Nathaniel's trial commenced, the FBI managed to decode and decrypt the journal that had been found in his flat. And what they found in this journal was beyond horrifying. The journal detailed Nathaniel's plans to cook and eat children. It has recipes in it with the names 
barbecued kid, sex a la carte, my little kid dessert, little boy stew, little boy pot pies, and lunch is served on the patio with roasted children. Now these recipes, along with the human hair found in the grinder and all the other evidence began to severely concern the investigators. Neighbors had begun to report that Nathaniel had actually served them strange tasting meat in the days following Zachary's disappearance. Nathaniel had hosted several cookouts in the month that followed Zachary's disappearance, and he had actually given his neighbors casseroles to take home, meat sandwiches, and that kind of, you know, normal cookout things. However, the neighbors at the time actually noticed the strange taste to the meat, and when they questioned Nathaniel about why the meat tasted weird. He just said that um, the meat was that of a deer that he had hunted locally and he had um, prepared the meat himself and that's why it tasted a bit funny and not like regular deer. However, Nathaniel was never known to go hunting. He didn't own a gun license. He didn't own a gun. He didn't own a hunting license. A gun was never found at his home didn't add up. And now the neighbors believe that they were fed something much more horrendous. Additionally, when Nathaniel's financial records were checked, it appeared that his grocery bill was significantly smaller than usual in the month following Zachary's disappearance. This could mean a lot of things. It could mean maybe he wasn't that hungry that month, or maybe he paid for things in cash. But this, along with all the other facts and evidence in the case, leads me to believe something different. An excavation was done at Nathaniel's mother's house, and 21 bone fragments were recovered. They were analyzed, and they were discovered to be that of an unknown African-American boy between the ages of 8 and 13 years old. Unfortunately, there was not enough evidence to actually prove the allegations of cannibalism. There actually wasn't even enough evidence against Nathaniel to prove that he had taken the life of young Zachary Ramsey. The charges against Nathaniel on the count of kidnapping Zach were actually dropped after Zach's mother claimed that she didn't believe Nathaniel was responsible and she actually thought that her son was still alive out there. I mean, personally, as a mother, if those things were found in this man's apartment and he had had a history of doing these things before, there would be only one of two reasons that I would say I didn't think he was responsible or back down or not you know, press charges. It would be A, because I was scared and I'd been threatened in some way, or B, because my own hope and desire for my son to still be alive out there somewhere was so intense and so strong in me that accepting he had been kidnapped and he may have become a victim of Nathaniel Barr would have just been too much and all hope being gone, it wouldn't have been easy to keep going on. So sometimes with the parents, it's easier to, to keep the hope and to keep the faith that their child is still out there and one day may come home. So those are really, in my opinion, the only one of two reasons that Zachary's mother would not think Nathaniel was guilty because I think pretty much everybody knows that he might be allegedly involved in what happened to Zach. Nathaniel Barjona was charged in 2002 with sexual assault 
aggravated kidnapping and an assault with deadly weapon. The deadly weapon being on the account of the pulley that he had used to partially hang the neighborhood boy. Nathaniel was sentenced to 130 years in prison without the possibility of parole. The community of Great Falls was so shocked by the heinous crimes that Nathaniel had committed in their community that they told the media that if Nathaniel were ever to return to Great Falls, if that ever happened, he wouldn't survive one night. However, the community of Great Falls had nothing to worry about. Because on the 13th of August 2008, Nathaniel Bar-Jonah had a heart attack in his prison cell, and he was later found deceased by the prison guards. A post-mortem later reveals that Nathaniel's heart attack had been caused by a clogged artery due to his obesity. Three years later, Zachary Ramsey's father moved to have Zachary declared legally dead by the state. And this was primarily due to the fact that the location of Zachary's remains it was likely a secret that Nathaniel had taken to the grave. And this was actually approved by the states, with Zachary Ramsey being declared legally dead in 2011. However, Zach's mother protests this and doesn't believe that Zachary is dead. She still hopes and believes that Zachary is out there somewhere to this day. And that is everything we have for you in this case. Thank you so much for watching this episode in my Summer of True Crime series. Thank you so much to Stephanie Harlow for coming and helping out with this video and this case. If you've missed it, we actually did a coffee and true crime video over on her channel where we discuss a very interesting and very very disturbing case um so i'd be sure to jump over to stephanie's channel to check that video out personally this case makes me very very upset at the idea and the thought of what had actually happened if you like put the evidence and piece the evidence together what this man had done it is disgusting and is also one of these cases where i believe the death penalty should have been used don't forget to like this video if you found this case interesting comment down below your theories in this case subscribe and turn those bell icons so you can be notified every single time that i post i'm next posting a video tomorrow uh which is wednesday um so be sure to be on the lookout for that and with all that being said i will see you in the next next case. Hi. How are you? I'm good. I'm recording right now. See? Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Listen. Okay. So don't laugh at me. I feel like this word is very British. Worcester. Is it Worcester or Worcester? Worcester. War Worcester. Worcester. <laughs> okay. Hold on. Worcester. Like that? Yeah. <laughs> Worcester. Yeah, it's one of those weird British pronunciations. But I feel yeah, like Worcester. I can't say that in an American accent without it sounding Worcester. It sounds like I'm saying Worcester. That w works. W Worcester. Worcester. Maybe I'll just do the whole thing. Nathaniel was actually born with the name David Paul Brown on the 16th of February, 1957. <laughs> in Worcester, Massachusetts. Can I do the whole thing in British <laughs> I think that would work. I'll do my part in an American accent too. Worcester. We got this. Down, Worcester. I think there's an American pronunciation of it on YouTube if you just type in Worcester. I think there's the, like an American voice pronouncing it. Worcester. <laughs> <laughs> so when I say it, I'm just going to do like, he was born in blah, blah, blah. Worcester. That's it. <laughs> just my man. Yeah. <laughs> Nathaniel was actually born with the name David Paul Brown on the 16th of February, 1957 in Worcester, Massachusetts. Yes.
dollar for Every time you slam the door I would be the richest girl alive, alive But you didn't want me, all you wanted was a game to For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.